Welcome to another episode of Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast. Today is going to be a unique episode. Two of my good buddies from lacrosse who made the All-American, the BFL All-American, joined Cade Laufenberg, Kevin Rue, both exceptional fishermen, both have traveled the country, both fish a lot of tournaments, have had some great success. They both made the BFL, and it's a pretty good story on how they got there, what it was like when they were there, and then what's up with the river right now and what's current fishing conditions and, and some recent successes. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, these guys have a lot of knowledge to share, and uh, if you listen in, you're going to learn something and definitely suck less. So enjoy the episode. This week, the Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast is brought to you by Arsenal Fishing. Arsenal Fishing offers premium custom-made performance apparel and tackle, Arsenal delivers a wide variety of custom-designed baits, accessories, and tools, along with unique utilitarian apparel for all outdoor enthusiasts. As part of their support, you can use code HELLABASS15 to save 15% on all purchases at arsenalfishing.com to support the show. Now let's get back to helping you catch more bass and suck less. All right, here we go. Welcome to another Wednesday night HELLABASS Live. Tonight, we got Kevin Rue and Cade Laufenberg. Uh, we'll, we'll introduce who they are and what they're about and why they're here. Um, but I think it's going to be a good show tonight. We're going to get into some juice. We're going to talk about some tournament experiences, the All-American, a whole bunch of stuff. And I think this is going to be a good show. Uh, Kate has brought a lot of uh, kids to the sh- kids to the yard in the past shows. They were pretty popular, and there's a lot of engagement. And now we're um, up at a level with Kevin joining. So I'm expecting good things tonight. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing well as well. Thanks as well for having me. Yeah. Are you sitting okay these days, Kate? Or is like your wallet a little thick on one side and you're kind of like throwing your back off or anything? Or? Actually, I didn't even know where my wallet was about an hour ago. I guess I was in the car last night. So I don't know. I haven't touched any money that I've won recently because I'm trying to get a truck. So just yeah. plan on spending a bunch of money next week, I guess. Nice. Uh, people in the chat, uh, let us know how's the sound and video and how's it looking before we get too far in. It sounds pretty good on our end. Just want to double check. Um, while we're waiting for them to chime in, just want to say uh, thanks to Arsenal Fishing uh, for supporting the show, supporting the channel. You guys can check them out. There'll be a little stream in the bottom there. Hellabass 15. Uh, we'll save you 15% on some good stuff and uh, check them out. Uh, without them this show is not as good so awesome everybody says sounds good what's up kyle what's up jay what's up sycamore casey nice good to see y'all. a lot a bunch of the usuals a couple return uh jp nice I see the youtube guys chiming in i don't see many people from facebook yet so uh, if you're on facebook make sure you say hi in the chat but um all right so uh people are trickling in so kevin and cade uh both from the fish out of lacrosse area primarily uh both came out of well i guess your home division of the bfl is the great lakes division and you guys both made the all-american that just happened on douglas lake about what two three weeks ago now yep uh um, probably a week and a half actually right so i thought it'd be cool because i'm excited because honestly you guys are both great fishermen you're both buddies of mine uh, I've had the privilege to uh, share a boat with both of you and cash a check in a tournament, which is cool. Um, and uh, so it just be cool to break this down and, and live vicariously through you guys and learn about the All-American experience and how you got there, what it was like, 
I mean, I've heard from a lot of people, it's like a really first class operation. I think getting some of that behind the scenes will be cool on how to get there, what it was like, and like, are you, you know, how driven are you to get back and all that. And then uh, we'll talk about some other tournaments and some what's going on in the river and, and, and answer a bunch of questions. But um, <clears throat> I guess maybe uh, we're going to start. Um, <clears throat> so you guys both took different paths to get to the regional that got you to the All-American. So maybe, Kevin, why don't you start? Uh, because if you don't know, typically uh, if there's a region regional tournament in your area, they won't send you there from your local BFL division. You'll have to – they'll send you away from your own region, and if you want to fish the one close to home, you'll typically have to go to another region to qualify. So that being said, Kevin, what was your path and what was your strategy to get to your basically home home pool – uh, BFL regional. Yeah. So, uh, when I first found out the regional was coming to lacrosse, I sat down, I looked at all the different divisions that were going to that area, um, for their regional back to lacrosse. And the way I basically picked the Ozark division is I looked at it like my time on table rock in Lake of the Ozarks would be beneficial to my future career because it's two places I'm probably going to hit in the spring and in the fall when those tournaments were. Um, so I thought, you know, if I go fish this, I'll learn more for when I return there. And I'll also, uh, I've been to both of those places. Ozark's probably like four times and uh, Table Rock just for one tournament. So I kind of knew how to run around and stuff. And I wasn't going to take a lot of practice because of uh, just a tight schedule for fishing. So I uh, I kind of chose that because of familiarity with the fisheries and, uh, I was only practicing like a day or day and a half and uh, ended up working out. But that's kind of how I chose that division. Um, wasn't wasn't the easiest division there. There's a lot of good fishermen in that division. But I thought if I was going to spend the time fishing them, I might as well learn something that's going to benefit me too. So, right. And so how many divisions were there to pick from? Uh, there's four, I think. So Illini, so like- the St. Clair and all Michigan. Like, I don't know what that division's called. Yeah, and then uh trying to think what else. Hoosier. <clears throat> Hoosier and was there like the Oklahoma maybe or something like that? No, it was this Ozark, Hoosier, Michigan, and Illini. Yeah, okay, yep. Cool. So basically you thought Ozark, you've got some equity there and you thought it would pay off for future equity too, just, you know, whether you're going to fish a, a Costa or opens, you figured that those would be good lakes to just spend time on. <clears throat> yeah. There was, there was a springtime tournament at Table Rock and Lake Ozarks on the schedule. And they're, that's going to probably benefit me in the future, you know, just being there a time or two. So I, I figured, yeah, it'd be nice to come see the lake uh, for a couple of days. Right. And, and I had been there before in the fall at both stops. So, Ozarks, the super tournament, the one that has a lot of points to it. I had already been there at that time and done it. So, right. So you fished four regular season events in the super tournament, right? Uh, yep. So you basically did a day and a half of practice for all of those. How did you fare out in the points? How many checks did you cash? You know, traveling down there. Yeah. How did the season go? So the season started pretty rough because the springtime, the colder that water was, kind of. Uh, Live scope was a huge deal in those first two events. I didn't have it at the time. I have it now, but Table Rock event, Mega 360, Live Scope, 
wasn't on my boat. Water was 39 degrees, if I remember right. You had to fish really slow. Um, and a lot of guys just spent the day looking at their scre screens and casting an A-rig or a jerk bait. And uh, so that was a rough tournament. I finished probably like, I don't know, it was maybe mid-pack, like 80 or 70. I think the next one I jumped up to like 57th maybe with a couple keepers. It was a super tough tournament. Again, it was like 39 degrees, raining that takeoff. Um, then we went to Truman Lake. I think the third stop for a back-to-back -back weekend, we had Lake of the Ozarks and Truman at, on that same weekend for like a makeup deal. And, uh, I spent one day on Lake of the Ozarks fishing really fast, boat docks, pretty much skipping a chatterbait back of the docks. I figured I could get a, I'd have a shot at getting a limit doing that. And I knew it was fishing kind of rough from just my about 12 hours on the lake that day. So I said, okay, I'll go over to Truman now and uh, check that out. So check that out. I ended up actually figuring out some really good stuff there. That was an awesome lake at the time we were fishing it. And there was just some, it was a really patternable lake, just like Lake of the Ozarks. And I fig figured out a pattern and uh, I cast a check. I think I finished like 15th there, um, did pretty good um, or 12th or something. Um, so that was kind of like the one that really bumped me up in the points and then the next day i think i got like 30 something at lake of the ozarks i only had like a small limit or four keepers and at mm -hmm. the super tournament i finished like one spot out of the cut for the to make the second day so i've like 28th or something like that or right. so so Ended up being pretty solid. I knew at that super tournament going in, I needed to catch one fish. So I just kind of tried to find in one day of practice, just something to put my head down. And I know how that lake fishes. And I found a little uh, topwater deal with the whopper plopper and kind of bluff wall, big black rock type of deal. And I just uh, I ran that. So ended up working out. But yeah, so you need to be what, top 40 to make the regionals? And you finished what? 15th so nice. yeah so, i actually didn't go that bad but yeah, i mean you beat yeah. a lot of guys on their home water so that's pretty impressive um yep sycamore hoosier uh this year the hoosier is rough river patoka monroe and then ohio river rocky point no ohio river tanners creek um <clears throat> sub darius checking in from the lbl um <clears throat> Rich, how did you just know those lakes like that? That was really weird. I looked it up on a separate screen. Oh, okay. I don't. I don't have. I don't have all the BFL schedules memorized. <laughs> Weekend warrior. Yeah, I just. Uh, I was looking at this screen. Right here. <laughs> there it is. So, magic of the internet. All right, so. Thomas says he's got a love-hate relationship with the uh, the rock. Um, it is true. I am part robot, John. I tell my family that all the time. Um, so it's kind of the same setup for you. You picked a different division, uh, Cade. What was your uh, your logic, and, and how did it go? Well, I had the same thought process as Kevin did about like wanting to fish some premier tournament lakes. So the Ozark was actually my first choice. Um, when I found out that the tournament was going to be on the cross, the regional I'm speaking of, uh, it was, you know, late fall or something, I think the year before. And I was like, okay, I got to get this tournament because it's the tournament like that you dream about, you know, to have a regional in your home water 
Um, and my original thought was that the Ozark, you know, there were rumors coming out that it was that the Ozark division was going to be part of that path. And so that was my initial thought, but we didn't have any dates yet. And I was waiting um, time on pins and needles to find out the date and location of the TBS national championship. Cause I had qualified for that. And that was that we learned that it was going to be at grand Lake. And then it was still like, they were kind of, it took them a while to get the details out. It's kind of weird. But uh, once they finally launched the details, I found out that the TBS national was going to overlap one of those Ozark tournaments. So that was kind of an oh crap moment for me, which I already had chosen like a second pick if I had to. And that was the Illini division. So that was the route I ended up taking. Um, I talked a lot about it with friends and stuff. Like I actually spoke with Seth Fighter quite a bit about it. And he, even before seeing the overlap, he told me I should fish the Illini division because literally you could just show up to those lakes and go out there and like just grind all day and just try to come back with a fish or two, you know, and that's really how it is fishing in that division. It's like, I mean, I practice for all these events, but at the end of the day, you get out there and it's a lot of junk fishing and just like pulling up on um, stuff that looks good and just fishing because, I mean, it's really hard to get a limit on most of those bodies of water. So it's hard to practice for that kind of situation. Um, even at Ren Lake, I went, I practiced for uh, like a day and a half and I said, okay, this is enough. I got a couple of bites. I'm like, I'm not going to go out and fish anymore. Either help myself or spread myself too thin, like thinking I have all these spots or the other way it could happen where you just get discouraged because you're not getting any bites. So sometimes like less practice is better. On those tough bodies of water, that's something I learned in practice or in college, uh, how to practice for those kinds of events. So the more I started to think about it, the more I was like, okay, I can do this Illinois thing. Like I, I know it'll be nice for me because I don't have to worry about going to practice for four or five days. I would have been a little bit self-conscious going to the Ozark division like Kevin did and only practicing like a day like that because, I mean, those like like he said, the guys are just so good and. Those lakes are so big and there's so many fish. It's like, how do you get on the, the winning caliber fish in only a couple of days? You know? So I felt like with my situation, the Illini division was kind of the way to go, especially with the scheduling conflict. And I just went for it. And it was kind of a slow start. Like I, I had an actually I was kind of out of my finish at Shelbyville. That was, ended up being the first tournament of the year because of COVID. And it was like June 24th. So it was kind of crazy to start this journey so late like man you know i've been just itching to get started to try to qualify for the regional all fall winter whatever and then the first one gets canceled it's like okay now i'm waiting till almost july to get started on this thing that's just eating at me um but i got three fish there for seven pounds and that finished me in 24th i missed the check by six ounces but i was happy with it because my whole goal this whole season was just to not blank you know i didn't want to zero at any of the events because I knew all I had to do was at least catch one fish and I was for sure going to make that regional. So then the second one was at Red Lake. And <laughs> I mean, talk about ups and downs. I fished, like I said, a day and a half practice. I found one creek that had a bunch of fish in it. And I went there on tournament day. I thought it was a super sneaky deal, but there there was just like six or seven of the local rats that fished that place up in this creek. Like, I mean, it was really river ratty. You had to idle through this huge stump flat for like over a mile and a half just to get to the mouth of the creek. And then once you got in there, like it didn't, it was really hard just to even get to the mouth of the creek. But once you got in there, it opened up and it was like 
there's all these little bends and turns in it good like three four five foot of water and if you ran all the way up it turned into like mud banks like stuff that we like to fish back home you know but i thought i'd have the whole thing to myself and like i said there was seven or eight boats in it and i ended up learning that a couple of the top five bags came out of there i was the second to last boat drawn that day so i kind of got screwed on getting up there and catching the fish that were in the way back but anyway um i ended up grinding all day that day and caught one fish with like 20 minutes left to go in the tournament and that was to me that was like one of the biggest most crucial fish catches of my life at the time because i was like oh my god i thought i was gonna zero and i thought i was gonna shoot myself in the <laughs> foot and not get to fish the regional and i'd be crying over still milk the rest of the season so i was tickled pink to just get out of run lake with a fish on the board and then came back south for a double header at the ohio river and i was lucky enough to find a good deal going on there for smallmouth and i ended up winning uh, one of those tournaments there was two of them back to back on a saturday and sunday and i won the saturday tournament and then tried to i thought i could maybe win the second one too because i caught them so good on the first day but i definitely depleted what i had to, to get that win and the second day i only caught three i still finished 24th with those three fish but missed the check so I only cashed a check in one tournament all season on the Illini uh, division, but at least it was uh, it was a win. And that made it so I didn't have to come back for another trip to uh, Shelbyville in the fall. So that was kind of nice. But, uh, the win got me an automatic berth to the regional. So it was like a giant sigh of relief just to kind of get that out of the way and then not worry about it for the rest of the summer. So that was my yes. cash so you so you like you get a win so you get a nice obviously paycheck for winning the event right covers your season and then some and then you get the automatic burst and then you save yourself a trip back and the expenses and the entry fee so it was like a double <laughs> right i almost i really wanted to come back actually because like i was 11th in the points after i won that tournament and i really wanted to close out the season and see what i could finish against those locals you know um but it just didn't make sense. Like I was able to take second vacation time at work, you know, by not going. And that was big, you know, that was a big key. Cause that gave me some more practice for the, the regional too. So I took another day of vacation for that or whatever. So I don't know. It's, it's hard to justify going to Southern Illinois to fish for two or three keeper bites if you don't have to, <laughs> but yeah. it, was, it was a fun path, you know, to, to do that. I learned a lot from just fishing those bodies of water and, fishing against a different group of anglers you know they all have a different posture about them like i'm sure kevin can speak to that i know we've talked about it a little bit me and kevin how the anglers are like different where he was at i know they were different in the Illini division too and like you kind of pick up some things from watching how other guys act like on water you know because we we just take for granted that guys we fish against all time and we know how everybody is but then you go somewhere else and you're like oh these guys do it a little different so you learn stuff yeah i think that that short practice too like with a lot on the line because you know getting to that regional was the first step to making the all-american or whatever and that was the goal so with one day of practice or a day and a half and just with points kind of on the line not really like yeah you're trying to find something that you can contend for a win but uh i never really like found that other than at truman i thought i had a really good deal going after like a day and a half but um 
but you learned how to cover a lot of water in a really small time. Like you would get a bite and just run like two miles, you know, and get, get another bite and you'd, you, you know, you'd cover a lot of water. I think like looking at the future, that whole year really helped me grow as like, if I had to show up and fish a big tournament in one day of practice or no practice, um, it just really, I don't know, it really helped speed up, um, to be super efficient in your time, I guess, out there trying to figure out something, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's shouldn't be underrated because like that is the type of stuff that you really need to get into your repertoire. If you're going to take it to the next level, because yeah, sure. The coastas and the opens kind of have unlimited practice, but you're eventually going to find yourself in a spot. If you keep moving up, whether it's a regional or a, a championship or, you know, a Bass Nation or a TBF, where you're going to have, you know, two days to practice on a, on a massive body of water that you may or may not get to pre-practice. Or, you know, if you really make it to the, you know, the top level, which I think we all have some aspirations of, you know, potentially trying to make that leap at some point in our careers, um, right? You're going to, a two to two and a half day practice is normal. So you got to learn how to find fish fast and, and take those clues and, and expand in the tournament, right? Um, it's pretty common that most people that win tournaments or do really well in tournaments unlock what's going on or they develop it in the tournament, right? You rarely hear somebody like, man, I had it dialed. I went and did exactly what I thought I was going to do. I wrote it up and that's exactly how I crushed everybody in a three-day tournament, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't happen that often. It's more the latter where it's like, I got a couple of clues. I got a couple of bites. And then when I went in my best area where I felt the best, you know, I adapted, I leaned on it, and I really found out what was there. I mean, that that's more often than not. Yep. Um, so you guys, so you you kind of had it wrapped up in what August that you knew you were going back. What, what when did you have your last tournament, uh, Kevin? Uh, September, like late. It was late September. It was actually like two or three weeks before the regional. So. Um, yeah, it was like super late. I only had like three weeks that I knew I was at, actually in it or whatever, I guess. But it didn't matter. I was obviously at lacrosse, so I was thinking about it all year anyways. But um, So what the, the, the regional, is there any off limits on that? Is that wide open for practice? How did you guys, you know, prepare for that regional on your home pond? And how many people from kind of the Great Lakes division, right, or were locals in the regional besides you two? So we had a week. Go ahead. Go. I was just say we had like a week or seven days off limits before official practice. We were, they give us like five days of practice, but we could fish our team tournaments and anything we wanted for uh, that whole time up until that. So I know for me, I didn't do like a ton of extra pre-practice for it. Just, uh, um really once that five day period came i mean i'm out there a lot anyways i didn't do any extra like i was just gonna fish the conditions and not get caught up on a lot of stuff but uh yeah i just practiced hard once it once it got here for the tournament i guess yeah i i spent some time down on full nine during the off like well before the off limits period or whatever uh, pre-practicing just because I hadn't been down there much all year and I knew in my head, like I knew that all these non-local guys were going to be fishing pretty heavily on pool eight. I felt 
So I thought if I could find something on pool nine and get away from the bigger group of people, it would be beneficial. And so I did that pre-fish down there for like three days or so. And then during the off limits, I actually went up and spent two days up in pool six and five A, where I was living for 10 years. Just got back to fishing those waters and just, just trying to keep catching fish. It's kind of nice to get off the tournament waters like that and go fish you know you're still fishing the mississippi river all the patterns are the same everything's like really similar but i just leaning on everything that bites you know so it just helps you get more confident helps you uh feel like you're in tune with what's going on i didn't do very good up there like i don't know i think we had some high pressure those couple of days and i only caught like 13 pounds each day but i did find some stuff that was going on especially with a jerk bait that ended up helping me i think a little bit in the tournament so just Maybe it didn't help me so much as it just, it was a continuation of my building up of the confidence in the jerkbait leading up to that tournament. Because by the time day one started, I was all in on a jerkbait bite. So. Nice. And, and how many people would you that were considered, I don't know, would you guys consider locals or home division guys that made the regional? I'd say there was maybe 10-ish, maybe less. Yeah, I was thinking like 6 to 10. I, I know one name that comes to mind is Oswegan as being a yep. guy that made it that's pretty dangerous out there. So Clayton Reese, Clayton Reese was in it too. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Jeremy Knockin was in it. And then, it's hard to think. Yeah, I, we, I struggle to name anybody beyond that, actually. So it might have only been five or six of us. Oh, and Mike sure. There was Great Lakes Division guys, but, yeah, locals, locals, yeah. Yeah, Bruggen. Um, and how, what was the total field size at the regional? Uh, what was it, 150 something? In the neighborhood. Yeah, at least probably 157 or 160 yeah. or something like that. So over 150 boats, and you guys had you had to be in the top six. Yeah. To move on to the All American. Yeah. So even on your home pond, right? Like that's still a lot of people <laughs> to beat, uh, to make it to the all American. Yeah. So like, th- th- don't think it's like, Oh, it was just like, it's at home, just catch a few fish, just slide in. Like that wasn't the deal. You still, um, had to perform. Not at to a very mention high the, the, the bite was on fire. So like you couldn't slip up or like, it, it wasn't like you have one big day and you, you know, you can just coast it out. It was, you had to have like 15, I think, 15 a day or 15 and a half or 15 and a quarter was what it took. And yeah, it was, I mean, you had to keep catching them. Like, I mean, yeah, everybody was catching it was the fall. Pounds, like falling over. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, and I didn't expect well, that. I, be, anytime there's a tournament with like, you know, <laughs> yeah. You put 150 boats out there. You think, you think it's going to get a, a lot of pressure and kind of shut down a little bit, but the fish just kept biting because of the time of year it was. And uh, yeah, it, it fished really good. I, I think they'll come back for another regional for sure, because everybody had a blast. Go ahead, kid. You just got to be something you wanted to say. <laughs> oh, I was going to say there was some, it wasn't like it was just a bunch of guys that, you know, all oh, these guys weren't from around here or whatever. They're not going to catch them. Like, some of those guys have been to the All-American, and, like, it doesn't matter where the regional is. They're going to catch them. You know what I mean? Like, like a name that come, came to mind was, like, Gary 
spray. Uh, you know, he smashed like 19 and a half pounds of smallmouth on the second day and kind of scared everybody. Like, dude, this guy's going to just run away with this tournament. He moved up to like fifth or sixth or something. And I mean, if he would have gone out there and caught another near 20 pound bag, he would have had a chance to win. Um, and that's a guy that I, I think he might have been to the All American before. If not, he's a frequent contender at the regionals on, you know, Kentucky Lake and all those lakes that he's been to. Yeah, he was he was at Hartwell last year. That's right. I mean, there's a, there was a number of really good picks in the tournament. So it definitely was, you know, not just a cakewalk for us to get to the top. Yeah, and three-day tournament, right? So, I mean, obviously that probably helped you guys. Just, you know, consistency paid off. Uh, you know, one big bag couldn't carry you. I mean, obviously – um, I think in multiple, the longer the tournaments go, the, the cream rises to the top, the consistent anglers that can keep putting up good solid weights that benefits, uh, you know, if, if you're on them, I think that that benefits you. Um, whereas a one or a day, two day tournament, you know, one big bag can really carry you a long ways or even just one big bite. Like you get a five and a half pounder on the river that can carry you so far. Um, <clears throat> so what in just, I mean, it's been a while, but high level, uh, what were the kind of the baits and the the strategies? You guys mostly largemouth, mostly smallmouth. You know, I think you guys were kind of following fish into their wintering areas, right? And just kind of the migrations without getting the details. That was the gist of you're trying to cut them off on their way to their wintering holes, right? Yeah, per- pretty much. Yeah. And Kate said you were mostly a jerk bait. Kevin, you what? What was your secret I- sauce? I was same uh, same thing. I caught most of them on a jerk bait. Um, I also had a little other deal going on um, that I caught all my better fish on. Um, it was just uh, like a slower presentation, I guess. But uh, but yeah, I, jerk bait is really I caught a lot of uh, a lot of numbers on that. That was my better my better bait probably, but not for big ones. So the big thing about this, that particular week was uh, the river was low and it was pretty much as clear as I've ever seen it. Uh, any time of the year, any year I've ever fished, the, the main river was really clear. Um, it, it dirtied up some in the tournament because we had some huge winds and a little bit of weather, but uh, it still was clear on a lot of pool eight, like especially everything on the Minnesota side, was just been clear. And that played a big role in the jerk bait being so good. It wasn't something that you just like pull up and just throw a jerk bait and you're going to smash it. You had to figure out how to work it. Um, there was a way you had to trigger them. And I was fishing it pretty aggressively. That's how I was catching my fish. And it was a largemouth deal. I didn't catch smallmouth on the jerk bait. It was, it was like sand, bare banks, um, sand points and stuff like that. They were setting up on. And a lot of times it was had some current. And it was on the way to where they were wintering. I, I think what tripped a lot of guys up was they were fishing too far ahead of the fish. A lot of guys were fishing in different deep holes where they're where the fish are going to winter, and that was the recipe to go and catch 12, 13 pounds. I mean, they were catching. They probably caught more fish than I did. They probably caught 60 fish a day doing that. But I was fishing for the bigger fish that were still out in that main river current, eating bigger shad that hadn't got to those winter holes yet. So that that was my largemouth deal. And for smallmouth, I had a really good main river rock, you know, wing dam, sand point, anything on the main river with heavy current. I was catching big smallmouth all week in practice. But 
with the conditions, they changed on me. Um, I was catching them on swim bait, you know, big power power bait type stuff is all day about that. But, uh, I mean, I was catching the fire out of them, and they just shut down with that current change because of the winds that blew. It blew out of the south one day, and then it blew hard out of the north. And that flow was coming out of the north so persistently like that, that flow picked up, like, by, like, 10,000 cubic feet per second, I think it was. I think it was it was it was ripping like 29 or 30 cubic 30,000 cubic feet per second on the first couple of days of practice and after that first day it was 37,000 coming through the dam so that changed what the fish were doing and i couldn't really connect with the smallmouth until the final day i was able to catch a couple of big ones that really helped my bag but like i said it would have been a, a smallmouth beat down if conditions stayed the same in practice that really turned into more of a largemouth kind of playing small ball the first two days, catching 15, 16 pounds, and then the final day weighing a couple of those four-pound smallmouth, uh, at least for me. And I did catch some on a jig, too, that the first two days. I had one really good jerkbait spot on pool nine, and then I had a place where I was going and, and fishing a football jig off of a, a ledge. had some shell bed and rock on this ledge. It was a really unique spot with a light current on it. Um, it falls off into like 20 foot of water. It's like four foot on top. And I was catching them on that football jig foot. That was kind of my whole deal for the whole tournament right there. Just map it out. Yeah. Very cool. Did you guys run into each other? Did you guys bump into each other in any spots or like see each other on spots you wanted to fish? <laughs> I started uh, on I know. On day one. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was running down river. It was my second stop. Cade was on. That's where he started or whatever. But it was it's whatever. I just didn't. I just kept going, and uh, I don't think I ever hit it after that at all either. So, um, I mean, a lot of those holes you could hit multiple times a day, and there's you know they're still good. So I just figured if he's going to rotate back through that, I was going to give it to him. So, um, but yeah, I actually I got onto a pattern that uh, because of fishing at Ozarks you talk about how that whole stuff made me better and all those experiences is like a big heat thing and we had a huge cold front a couple days like right as that tournament was coming it was warm guys were catching them on swim jigs chatterbaits I thought that jerkbait as soon as that cold weather hit was you know picking up and then I got onto this pattern with I won't name the specific thing I was looking for but it was something that was holding a lot of a lot of heat and it it was a pattern that it was good. I could run it. I actually day two, I Google or something that night and I, I ran something on a whim and caught like them on like 10 straight casts. Um, cause it down on nine, just cause it was, uh, it was a really solid pattern that, uh, you just had to look for something specific, but nice. what it had to do with that cold front heat. So, so which, which spots did you guys take in the tournament? I won it. <laughs> I took the sixth place spot and I was sweating bullets because uh, I knew. So I was still kind of thinking about a big bag on the final day and I, I got off to a quick start. I had like 13 and a half pounds in like probably the first 15, 20 minutes of that tournament on that final day. The wind was blowing just right and it was blowing just how I needed it to. And, uh, so I, I got off to a quick start and then 
I was in an area I could have upgraded and all year I was really consistent and I would chip away, you know, it take a two and a quarter for a two and a half. And I just got kind of greedy that day and wanted to chase a bigger bite, which it was just dumb. And it almost cost me. I, I think the two guys ahead of me were ahead of me by one ounce and I finished sixth and on the weigh-in stage is the best guy, you know, on the river, Mike Brigham. And I'm just thinking, dude, you did all of that and you're not going to make it. Like, oh, I was thinking about all the trips because, you know, Mike is going to have them. And for some reason, the one day I've ever seen that guy slip up, unfortunately, because he's my buddy, he kind of had a hiccup and um, I got a slip in and it, uh, I don't know. I, I was relieved, but I felt bad for him too because, you know, he's one of my good buddies. So, yeah, cool. Yeah, I think my only top five in a BFL was on Prairie and Bruggen got locked out and that's how I stayed in the top five. So (laughs) (laughs) one thing that was weird for me in this whole situation was like, I wasn't even thinking about the all American at any point, like in any of this, to me, the regional was my end game. Like I wanted to win that tournament so bad. It was all I could think about all year. And so like, once I won it, I wasn't even thinking like, oh yeah, it's all American. Like, you know, after the fact, now I got to go to it. It was like such an amazing thing to do, and I'm so glad I got to do that. But for me, like just winning the boat, winning that tournament, that was what I was there for. The All American was just a bonus to me, and it sounds crazy because everyone dreams to go to the All American, but for me, my dream was to win that freaking boat <laughs> and have it now and what it's doing for me already in my confidence on the water because I'm not thinking about a breakdown every second. Like every decision I make is a raw, like natural decision. It has no, my boat has no impact on my decision-making anymore. And it's like, it created such a amazing feeling for me when I'm in a tournament situation. Yeah. So cool. I knew it would do that. And that's why I knew I needed to do this and win that tournament. And I'm just really thankful that it actually happened because I mean, that, you know, it's not every day you can just will a tournament win out of nowhere like that, you know. So even if it is on your home water, like, stuff just goes wrong for everybody, you know. So that was my end game. And now American was just a bonus, and I was really thrilled to go there and compete and stay with Kevin all week, and we had a good time doing that. For sure. Yeah. So fast forward, uh, you guys, early October was the, the regional. And you, you guys punched your tickets, and congrats on the win, Kate. And it's a pretty sweet-looking Phoenix you got. Um, but now you guys don't fish the All-American till early June, right? right? And you guys had some pre-practice at the end of May. Um, you guys both went down there, spent some time ahead of the cutoff. <clears throat> and, and Douglas Lake is nothing like the Mississippi River. I mean, uh, I mean, there might be some parts of it a little bit, but for the most part, as a whole, it's nothing like your home body of water. Um, what was your guys' strategy um, going into the All-American? I mean, were you looking to win it, cash a good check? You know, were you were you focused on offshore? Were you testing all the different things? Like, what what, what was your strategy? What were your, your guys' thoughts going into it? I'll go first on this one. So, for me, it was just like, I knew going to this tournament, it was a bonus to get here, like I already alluded to. And there's no points at the All-American. I mean, the only thing that you can really 
get a consolation prize for it, All-American, is, well, you could still be the highest finisher in your division and go to the Toyota Championship. So there is that. But to me, if you're fishing to try to make the Toyota Championship at the All-American, you're doing it wrong. So I was there just to try to win the tournament, and I didn't care if I finished first or last. We're all getting a guaranteed paycheck. That's one of the perks of that tournament. You get $1,500 even if you finish last, plus money for gas. So it's a great deal. It's basically a free trip, and anything you get out of it is a bonus. So you can only swing for the fence. And for me, going down there, I thought this is going to be a deep offshore tournament. Everything points to that being the case. And I ordered nothing but ledge stuff. I looked at nothing but ledge stuff on my mapping, everything, you know. And that was my strategy was I'm just going to live off the bank. I'm not that good at this stuff, but I'm going to spend this pre-practice time to figure it out, get dialed in, and try to learn. I, I had one thing that I learned from the Illini division that I could finish offshore that I felt confident not everybody was doing. And so I thought maybe I'm going to ride this to my first All-American win. That was what I tried to put in my brain. But after getting down there, I realized real quick, and I know Kevin could attest to this too, is how much pressure that lake actually gets and and how small it actually fishes offshore, especially at the time we were there. I'm sure it's fishing better now that they've had some more heat to push new schools to fish offshore. When we were there, it was like we were catching the fish offshore that have been there since April because they spawned early. But the majority of the population of bass in Douglas Lake did not spawn in that first wave. So every other fish that spawned after the first wave still hadn't got out shore, in my opinion. They're all just up in limbo, up shallow, in between, kind of. And the fish that were offshore since April, they were like August bass. You know, they all have been caught like 30 times each. And like, I mean, it was almost impossible to get in the bite, at least for me. I know Kevin figured something out catch those fish. But that's where I started to realize. And I, I always remember this. Gerald Swindle said it a long time ago on the way to winning his second AOI. He said, you got to realize that there's certain situations where you're just not cut out to do that job. Like, and he realizes that, and that's how he won with the year. It may be one offshore, but it won't be one offshore by me. It's something that he said at a tournament. I remember him saying it vividly. And I was like, you know, maybe I'm not going to win this tournament, but I know for sure that I'm not going to win this tournament offshore if I'm meant to win it. So that's when I started to tailor my practice to incorporating some more shallow stuff. And I figured out a topwater deal that ended up being a, a pretty good producer for me in the tournament. And I think a lot of it had to do also with the fact that there was like this ridiculous cicada hatch going on. Like, the air temps down there were cooler than they are back home. I mean, it was like a perfect storm of weird, like, once in a million things happening to keep those fish from going offshore. <laughs> and it just lined up with, like, any other year out of 100 years, those fish would have been stacked up offshore. There's no way you would have caught fish shallow at this event. But this particular time, it worked out that way. And it was like, every time I went up to the bank, I kept telling myself, this isn't real life, right? This is, I'm not these fish right now right but i was and i had to just slowly build that confidence that maybe there would be a lot of fish shallow at this tournament and it turned out that i think seven or eight of the guys in the top 10 ended up being shallow anglers and i mean that blew my mind so but that was my whole deal and i guess kevin can talk about what he did because i think 
he was definitely more on the program to win the tournament. Uh, I was kind of on the program to finish 10th if I was lucky enough to get a couple more bites. But he was a couple bites away from, like, being right there at the top. Yeah, so uh, I kind of – one thing you mentioned, the kid, that I don't think a lot of viewers know is, like, that cicada hatch. So what that actually is is, like, a bug that hatches, I think – it's like every 15 years, is that right? Or 20 years or something like that. And they were hatching while we were there. You could hear them just buzzing up in the trees and whatnot. They like come up, I don't know, they come up out of the ground or something. So that happened and that kind of kept some of that shallow stuff a little more honest. And there was, you know, shad spawn that was fizzing out. And there was a, a bluegill spawn that was probably still going on in some some areas and they were they were definitely still hanging around their their beds and stuff for some guys but uh but yeah i i looked at it a lot like Kay did i wanted to fish offshore i knew i previous experience i never fish good when i'm fishing partially offshore and then i'm running shallow stuff too i knew i needed to be all in whether it was all shallow or all deep and i remember telling Cade that because i I think he kind of was talking about doing a little of both or something. I was like, that's just not for me because I, I know I can't do that. I know I've gotten burned before doing that when I like, I should have beat the bank all day or I should have fished out deep all day because it fishing offshore is such a patient like thing that you really, I mean, it's boring at times and you have to, there's lulls. And um, I think, I don't know, for me making that work, it's because I just devoted to it. And I, uh, I don't know, I put in a lot, so I put in a lot of time in practice and I did a lot of graphing and there was a lot of fish out deep, but like Kate said, a lot of people were fishing and that lake is really predictable, you know, like points and stuff that they set up on everybody is fishing. So after you spent like, like I spent like seven or eight days there in pre-practice and you start noticing, you know, like there's certain spots that every time a boat drives by they stop on and i just ruled all that stuff out because you know i would graph it and look at it and there's a big school there but you could really not get those fish to bite so i knew if i was going to fish offshore they need to be something sneakier or like what you would call sneaky whether it was your thinking about it or just less boats know about it you don't see a lot of boats in this area so i would after you know a couple of days on that lake, I'd start graphing all the areas I was never seeing any boats fishing and trying to find that one place in that area or whatever that had a group, you know. And uh, I actually did find I found one of those areas, and then I found an area like kind of right around the corner that there wasn't a lot of guys fishing, and uh, kind of I could get bit there when I pulled up and I actually saw them. I could fire out a Carolina rig and I could get like a bite, like kind of right away instead of like fishing it for 25 or 30 minutes so and then that was kind of pre-practice you know I, and then when i went back for the tournament there we had two days of practice i figured out a deal i was just throwing a three eighth ounce shaky head and it was at the end of practice i thought about it and i was like you know outside of some fish i caught on a frog in pre-practice just kind of fishing up shallow because i definitely kept that honest but i got there so early that I could catch a lot on a frog right away when I got there in pre-practice when I would get sick of graphing, I'd run to the bank, throw like a stinko around, throw a frog around, you'd catch them, but they weren't that big. And then I think this bluegill spawn and everything kind of sucked fish back 
like i don't know it it got fish the cicada hatch the shad spawn was dying down so fish were schooling on shad and stuff and i think it kind of sucked uh fish back into some of these bushes because the water actually came up two feet or a foot and a half from when pre-practice ended to when we got back there and uh i really i ran it a little bit because we only had two days and i just never saw a quality bite sorry am i uh am i breaking up Bad. i don't know why i'm breaking up I muted Kevin and it didn't go away. So I don't know if it was Kevin or Cade. So I muted Cade. <laughs> so I don't know if his uh, little AirPods are going bad or not. Let's see. I'll, I'm going to try to unmute him now. All right, Kevin. Go ahead and say something. I thought I unmuted him. Anyway, there we go. I'll try again. No, I can't. You have to unmute yourself. I guess I can't unmute you. I don't know why I can't. It says their mic isn't connected. Did I just break it? Nope. It's in All the right. bottom. Kevin's back. Cade, it's Cade's Cade in the bottom of the screen. That's weird that I can mute you, but I can't unmute you. Uh, all right, this is weird. All right, he's come back in. <laughs> okay. Well, like I was saying, uh, I kind of ruled out that shallow stuff in practice because I just the stuff that I stopped on. Maybe if I would have pulled into that one pocket. I don't really think the whole lake was fishing great shallow. I think there was really specific areas. And uh, so I kind of ruled that out. And when term day started, I wanted to basically only hit so many spots. In the spots I did want to hit, I wanted to soak for, you know, a long time. Because the one thing I could not do with these fish is get them fired up. And right. I, could not, I could not get a school to just <laughs> – mow them down you know and kate and right. i would talk about this like every night it'd be like did you get them fired up or like could you you know catch multiple fish on one spot and a lot of times at most it was like two or three fish at most um but you couldn't really get them fired up so i knew and what i was fishing was kind of like pinch points with the current so when they would pull water like my spots would actually get the most flow like that you would see it was just kind of river something river fishing when at night, they would run two uh, turbines a lot, and you would see that in those pinch points between, like, islands or something, that it would, uh, I don't know, it would really kind of constrict. So I, I found a few sweet spots around stuff like that, and uh, day one of the tournament, kind of like what you said, a good tournament comes together during the tournament. I had my best bites on that shaky head in practice, so I stuck with that, and... I sat on my first spot up the river, like for like three hours the first day. And, uh, I had like, I think four small fish. And so I went to another area where I knew there were some bigger fish from the day before that I had bite. Are we having some interference again? Yeah. Maybe just try it without your headphones. 
I don't know if we're getting some like jack interference or. Go ahead. Is that better? Or can you hear me yeah. still? You sound good. Okay. I can't hear you as good, so I got to turn up my volume here. But uh, yeah, so I ended up stopping on that spot. My co angler picked up a good one. Um, I didn't pick up one there, and then I went to my next spot. Is that still pretty bad? It's like crackly. Kate, do you see the the message? What? Yeah, do, you, do you have any do you have any earbuds in or are you just straight in your phone right now? You think it's from me? I don't know. <laughs> are you on Bluetooth? I was, but I turned it off. Yeah, try that. Let's just go with that for a little bit. I turned it off a while ago though. Okay. So all right, let's go. Power through. All right. Okay, so so anyways, I went to what I think is my best school, and I think it from what I found in the lake, I think it was one of the better schools on the lake. And I went there, and uh, I could only get, like, one fish. I could never get them to fire on the spot, but I figured I would soak it for a couple hours and just see what, you know, what I could make happen, what I could learn more about the spot. I never wanted to get really seen on this spot during practice because, you know, there was so many boats and students. You get seen on something, they come and grab it. So, I mean, it was one spot I could catch a fish right away when I would stop on it. So, I didn't need to learn how to fish it better. And if I needed to wait out some laws, that's what I needed to do. So, I got there and... I fished for about 20 minutes to a half hour, and I uh, I caught one on Shaky Head, and right before that, I saw, like, a three-pounder um, follow my Carolina rig up to the boat, and that gave me a little bit of confidence in that spot that, you know, like, there's some real good quality there, because it literally followed it all the way up to the boat, and I seen that fish. And uh, so I was soaking it, and at that time, I only had four, and they weren't any good ones, so it kind of was like, kind of gets your confidence down, or not your confidence down, but it's kind of like, man, really, I can see that fish, and I can see them all over my live scope, and I, I can't catch one, but then the storm came, and I don't know what happened, but a cell kind of came through the lake, and these fish kind of fired, so I had about a half hour where I caught a three and a half, or three and... It's like a 379 and like a 329. And so I caught two good fish and I called probably two more times. And at that point, I knew I was around 13 pounds. And so I I just said I was going to sit on that spot for another uh, about hour and a half or two, learn how to fish it better for tomorrow, see if I could upgrade. No point running around if I was on the spot that was producing. I just needed to wait out the lulls. Um so ended up doing that. I weighed in 13 pounds, just less than 13 pounds on uh, day one because I had a, a fin clip penalty because I was, fishing, I was fishing a hump in 30 foot of water. When those fish would come in, they needed to be fizzed. But I'm not a great fizzer, and 
I didn't really want to spend the time when those that school was fired up fishing them because I was putting a fin clip on most of those fish just to keep them upright in the live well. And uh, I pulled seven of them off my fish at weigh-in, and I accidentally left one on. It gave me a four-ounce penalty. It ended up – I had missed a cup by, like, three ounces, but, uh, but it – I mean, it didn't really cost me because I, I had the fish on the second day to do all right um, and make up for that. But, but yeah, so I, I was getting more confidence in that shaky head and fishing it and whatnot, and uh, I sat on that spot instead of hitting a – a hole around the corner and trying to call up to a bigger bag. I wanted to save that for day two so I could start on this spot um, the next day and then just basically fish that. What I was basically getting to was, you know, this whole thing of I had like 20 spots with fish on it offshore, but I really cut them down to only a few spots because I knew how long you had to fish them to get a bite. Um, and it kind of just started working out. I got more confidence in it. And day two, when I pulled up to that spot, there was, there was a little bit of drama that went on. I'm not going to really get into that, but it was with another competitor and um, kind of got cut off. And I mean, I was idling. I was right about to the spot and he'd come in at 60 and just shut down right on where the fish were the day before. But I, I seen what he was throwing. And I didn't really think he was going to catch him doing what he was doing. Cause I mean, I fished that spot for three and a half hours the day before. And I felt like I had an understanding of what was going on. I caught two right away and he didn't catch anything. And after that, he left and, uh, and I sat there and then I had another spot around the corner. Once I got about four fish and I really soaked that spot for what I thought at the time I could have rested or whatever. I went around the corner to that spot. I saved and I caught a four thirty nine like my third cast. So I, at that point I was like, you know, this is, this is going to happen. Like, this is, this is good. Like you need to just keep with this soaking this shaky head. Um, all the big fish I'm seeing are coming on it. Um, and it's about as plain Jane of a bait as you can have. So I don't know why I threw everything at them. I had super K jigs with me up some secret, everything, you know, I could think of. And, uh, I tried it and they just, they wanted something so simple like that. I don't, I don't know. It was just high pressure or what, but, uh, but I ended up getting to a decent bag that day. Um, I ran one area with like two hours left i was coming back to weigh in and i was actually gonna you know take a play out of the ozark books and i was like you know i bet those pockets around corner from takeoff probably have some release fish or whatever from night thursday night tournaments it's friday and uh i'm gonna go in those pockets and um sure enough i seen one of the guys that he had like 16 pounds that day throwing something really finessey in there like ended up he whacked him and that was the guy that really knocked me out of the cut I think by him catching him that day but um but on my way to that spot I only spent 20 minutes in that but I seen a spot and I was like you know no one's on it and it's kind of sneakier school but it's not a community hole but I hadn't totally figured out how to catch him there I just knew there was a good school I could graph over you know on that spot and I was like you know with the shaky head I think I think I can stop there and catch one. And uh, I pulled up there and like fished it for like 25, 30 minutes, nothing. I'm looking at him my live scope. I'm casting at him, trying to figure it out. And finally I get a bite and it's a big one. And I'm like, it's a good one. It's, this is the fish, you know, like this is what I need. My co-anglers right there with the net. It jumps. It's like three and a half pounder. And for whatever reason, I mean, my shaky head goes flying and 
I mean, he is like right there. He could scoop it probably if it's a team tournament, but being co- pro co format, you know, as a co angler, you don't really want to stab at your boater's fish. And I think that's probably in his perspective why he probably maybe, I mean, also the net, I mean, it was like literally two inches from it, but I, I don't know. But it ended up, you know, uh, not making it in the net. And it was kind of like, you know, it really sucked because that, I probably would have been like sixth place going in the final day. And it was, you. I lost a big one earlier in the day and another had another one pull off, but that one was like right at the boat. So it just was like, you had to think like, why did that fish not make it? You know, I, I was practicing like seven, I like seven, 15 hour days of pre-practice. Like, I mean, I pushed as hard as I could devoted like so much to this event. And for that to happen, it was kind of like a, but I was thinking positive, you know, when I was focused and I, I kept fishing and I caught another small one on that spot and then I never upgraded and ended up missing the cut by uh, three ounces. And it was it was pretty much I, I'll probably be in weigh-ins that are that exciting and like that that much emotion again. But like Cade, Watt, he sat there right next to me the whole time. And, you know, we were we were it was came down to the last two people and they both had a shot to knock me out. And that guy, I he didn't catch him that day so I stayed alive and then he was kind of the one I was more worried about and uh and then the next guy up knocked me out and I mean it was emotional I I know Cade's mom he might be she might be watching this right now and she actually cried when it happened because it was like it was such a like emotional like you know time it was just like oh man like I I kind of felt dejected a little bit but I I at looking back I had a good term and I'm not a offshore guy i just got live scope i put in you know i had like 80 hours probably on that so i really started picking up on the intricacies of it and uh i was fishing 30 foot of water with a spinning rod and i'm i'm happy with what i figured out and what you know how it played out i know myself two years ago i blanked an offshore tournament on kentucky lake and acosta you know and i my co-angler he beat me with a drop shot pretty bad and i was throwing a drop shot and this tournament, I know I, I mean, both, I mean, I really didn't have that issue or whatever, you know, I, if anything, I caught, I mean, a lot more fish than my non-boaters. So, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was pretty happy with it and, uh, some good momentum. And then obviously I hit, uh, hit Lake Winnebago last week and it didn't go good, but for Kate, <laughs> it went, uh, it went great. So I think we should kick it to him and he can, he can, uh, talk about his big win and, talk about lean into that unless there's any questions yeah before like i i I mean that almost sounds like to the t what i went through on day two of the bass nation at pickwick like i was in fourth after day one and i only brought in two decent fish and i had one that like i just could not make touch and i threw it back before i got trailer to the weigh-in like it was a slime coat away but i didn't think it made it so i didn't wasn't going to try to like sneak it through and I was yeah. sitting there, like, I'm sure you, like, you had, like, the probably up on your phone, and you're, like, looking at it, and you're, like, well, this guy needs oh, to yeah. catch this, <laughs> this guy needs to catch this, and you're, like, like, every time somebody doesn't hit it, you're, like, all right, we're, we're that much, right? Like, and, like, literally came down, like, it was the exact same, the guy that went before the last guy, I thought was the guy I had to worry about, and then Cody Holland, who was the defending champion, and it was a rookie on the Bassmaster Elite Series, he came from way back with a big bag to knock me out. Like it was the very last guy. And it's just like, just like a total, like your stomach just sinks and you're just like, 
Because, like, you know, it's it did like, I right. why didn't I just get knocked out 20 guys ago? Because that would have been way better than coming down to that. Like, you know, you, you go, you start to like your hope, your hope, your hope, and then just boom. Like, well, I was in that same spot for the regional, you know, to make it there. I was like the last guy to weigh in, didn't have him or whatever it was, and I got into it. And then I was like, here I am in the same spot. I'm Bubble Boy, and it's going to come down to ounces. I know it. And, uh, yeah, I was on the wrong side of the bubble, but it was a great experience. And, I, uh, yeah, like, we didn't really touch on it, Cade, but, like, the All-American experience, you know, they had lunch, breakfast, ice, everything as you pull into the ramp is probably the most uh, non-stressed out I've ever been in the morning before a tournament. You just get gas and show up and fish. And, uh, yeah, it was it was an awesome tournament to be a part of. Um, it was super great run event so yeah before we jump in like before we jump into like this recent bfl and what's happening now uh if anybody that's been following along like listening if you guys got questions about the bfls the all-american go ahead and put those in the chat but yeah like maybe expand upon the bfl all-american experience and like what are some of the things that were different or to some of the things you didn't expect like what what was the wow factor and what made it a top-notch tournament Cade, why don't you go? You, you haven't talked in a while. Yeah, I I think, I mean, just having that feeling like, oh, there's only 50 boats, you know, um, you feel kind of special because it's literally 50 boats in the whole country. Like, every division has at least 100 people trying to get to the regional just out of each division. And I don't know how many divisions there are. There's got to be 40 or 50 of them around the whole country. So to be one of those top, you know, 50 guys that makes it to the All-American is pretty pretty cool. Um, but then also just, yeah, that, that registration day. Um, it's kind of nice to have an off day like we had. I don't – I'd kind of prefer if it was a little different because we had an off – we had one practice day and then we had an off day, and that's when we did the registration and we got our co-angler. And then we actually practiced with our co-angler for the final day of practice, like before the tournament, that was the only thing I didn't like about the whole experience was like getting your day one partner and then having to practice with them. Um, because you're like, Oh, I don't want to show this guy like everything I got right away. And then he's going to like go back to the hotel, sit at a chalkboard and draw X's and O's on the board, try to figure out how he's going to beat me behind the, you know, strategize how he's going to catch him off all of my spots. I mean, but it ended up being great. I mean, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, because the guy I drew was great, and Kevin actually drew him for the second day. So he ended up being a really cool guy. Um, both my co-anglers, both days were awesome guys. So that made it way better. And I think one of the things you have to realize, too, is like when you get to the All-American, everybody there is like pretty much professional. Like They know what they're doing. Um, the co-anglers know how to back a trailer in. They're, they've been there before as far as, as not necessarily all American, but just they've fished tournaments before. They know the drill. They don't stiff you for gas. They are helpful. They bring the right amount of tackle. All that stuff made it go, like Kevin said, so much more smoothly, not stressful. Um, and it was, it was just a great experience that way. And then obviously, I mean, the registration day, we got free food. We got free food every morning for practice. And then all kinds of cool stuff. Like we got these awesome Yeti. I don't I have mine right here. Let me grab it. Good stuff. Awesome Yeti. 
thing that says All American on it. That thing's freaking sweet. I use it every day already. Um, we got shirts. We got like a commemorative All American coin, like all this stuff. And I'm the type of guy that, you know, I like getting checks at tournaments, but I really like hardware the most. Like that stuff stays with you forever, you know? So I, I do like getting these commemorative items that you're going to have for a long time that you can kind of show off and be like, yeah, I got my all American Yeti. <laughs> you know, this is going to last me a long time. And I, I just like the free stuff that you get. Um, that's like memorabilia from the event, you know, that's top notch. I mean, where else do you get that kind of stuff? And this is the point I always make to people that like to gripe on BFLs for being a low payout at the ramp. You know, people are like, wow, they, they take so much off the top. It's only a 60 some percent payout. I'm not fishing the BFL. Forget that. You hear it a lot. A lot of guys like won't even sign up for that stuff, even on their home water because they don't like the payout. But it's not, the BFLs are not designed to be a Jack Potter's tournament. It's just not. It's for a guy that wants to do this and go to the All-American. Because this stuff, we got paid to go to the All-American. I mean, that's because of them taking that money off the top. It's so you can have a no-entry fee regional where you can win a boat, and you can go to the All-American and win $120,000 with that boat. Like, it's just an unbelievable um, opportunity for grassroots fishermen. So if you're one of those guys that thinks the BFL payout is terrible and that's the, the reason why you don't fish them, maybe you need to think about your perspective on it and think about actually fishing all of them and trying to get to that regional and beyond because it's definitely an experience that you will remember for the rest of your life. Rich, you're muted right now. Yeah, Rich, good you're perspective. Yeah, you go. <laughs> uh, I've always been a guy that has always looked for. Um, a second. Thanks, Darius, for stopping in. Good to see you. Good luck tomorrow. Um, I, I always have been always, you know, fish the Bass Nation, fish the TBF. When I would do the BFLs, I would try to fish a full season if I was going to do it. I wouldn't typically jump in for you know one or two. Um, because I'm always looking to move on. Like I know that, you know, the way that I started my career and my family and, you know, job, right. Like I'm not going to go fish the opens, right. And try to make the elites that way. But I do have the time to fish a weekend series, to fish a BFL circuit, to fish the Bass Nation. I am always looking at things that are like have a qualification path to a bigger stage that, you know, it may be a long shot, right. You're going to have to have a lot of things go your way. You're going to have to fish really well in a lot of big tournaments, but if you do, you have an opportunity to make something happen. And that's always been the type of tournaments that I have looked for. There's a lot of other people that would much prefer to be the big fish in the small pond at home and make some money in some team tournaments or, you know, or, or solo tournaments close to home. And if that's, that's why those circuits exist too. And, but there's a reason the BFLs and the Bass Nation, the TBF exist is because they have that opportunity to move on. And so, you just have to decide what type of angler you are and what you want to accomplish and uh, choose what fits for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, great season for both you guys making it and, you know, Kevin being so close to, to fishing the final day uh, and having a chance at the, at the big money. Um, and then obviously I think if what, if you won that, you would have got to fish the coast championship and then you would have been fishing for another 250. And I mean, like, you know, if you win the BFL American, there's even more opportunities that stack on top of that, that, you know, 
on top of the the boat and the, the money and all that stuff it, you know it's uh pretty wild the opportunities that come with that yeah for sure i mean it used to come with a forest cup forest wood cup birth but rip flw so <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into all that today <laughs> um so but so that, that you know that was uh, on top of like i mean the the all american was kind of the culmination of your 2020 season but at the same time you guys have been you know starting your 2021 season right and that just kind of happened to to fall uh, in the middle of this um so you guys are both fishing all the great lakes pfls again this year so you guys have both had two of those right um and you're fishing the river yep. and your local tournaments and you're back back to the grind on the river you know all the time what's uh you, i don't do you guys Kevin, you've had two terrible BFLs, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> you don't want to talk putting about it, putting it lightly. Uh, don't really need to talk <laughs> about much there. <laughs> I, Kate, I think you did. You sneak a check in the first one. Uh, I got sixth at the first tournament. Okay, so decent top ten, and then you followed up and went out to a a stingy bago. And uh, how'd that go? Well, um, I went out there, and I decided. In previous years, I've been doing my deal that I've been doing. I literally have been, I don't even have to practice for it because I just end up fishing the same places anyway. And so I stopped practicing it. But I noticed what was happening to me is every year I go over there and I catch 11 to 12 pounds. My co-angler gets a top 10 and I get like a 19th or 15th place check. And it's just not, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing right now. You know, I might not get a check. And if I do get a check, it's not a big check. So I decided to go a completely different route. I know a lot of times when the tournaments go to Winnebago or go to Winnicani, it gets one in the Wolf River. So I was like, I'm going to go fish the Wolf River this time and try to figure it out. And I figured out something pretty good. And it was all smallmouth fishing in practice, but it just really didn't pan out in the tournament. And this ended up being one of those real strategical deals where like you were saying before, you don't really know that you're going to do what you do in the tournament until you're doing it in the tournament. And I had a spot where I knew there were some good largemouth, like on a frog. I caught a two and three quarter. I actually think I caught it in the tournament and weighted in too. Cause I weighted on my scale. It was 282 and I caught it in the tournament. It was 282 in the tournament. And I, I think it was the same fish, but regardless, I knew it was a good spot and it had some fish on it for frog fishing but it was also a really obvious place, a community hole kind of deal. But what ended up happening was I drew boat number 11 and I never draw an early boat draw like ever, it seems like. And I didn't really plan on using my boat draw um, to my advantage because I, I felt like I was going to need to make a long run um, to do good in the tournament. So I wasn't going to try to start on anything like that. But when I get to the Wolf River and I start going through these Sloan Awakes that are just terrible, I realized I'm literally like the second guy in the, into the Wolf river. And the guy that's in front of me is Clayton Reitz. And he's known for going like so far up the Wolf river. You almost need a jet boat. Like, I don't even know where he goes, but that's the legend that he goes. Like he literally has an hour to fish wherever he goes. Um, so I was like, well, he's definitely not going to be starting where I'm thinking about. I'm like, man, maybe I can just start on this place and get a few fish and settle me down and then go the rest of the way up the river or whatever and fish the smallmouth the rest of the day. Well, I get going and I realize that like the pack of boats 
like there's literally three of us in this little cluster of boats that are going up and the, the rest of the boats that are later boat numbers are way further back. So I'm like, I got at least 10 minutes of fishing before these other boats catch up to where we're at in the river. So I start on this really obvious place and it ended up just being on like Donkey Kong on that frog spot. I had a limit in the box in 10 minutes. Um, I caught that 282. Uh, two of them were like two and a half pounders and then a couple of two and a quarters. And then I dumped one that was probably three pounds. So that I thought that fish was going to cost me. But I mean, I had 12 pounds in the box by eight o'clock. Um, I mean, and I started fishing at like 750. So I knew I was off to a good start and I thought, I'm just going to go and catch these big smallmouth the rest of the day. And I've got a really good chance to win the tournament. The smallmouth never showed up, but I just ended up going back to that pattern of fishing the largemouth further down river. And I ended up catching a four pounder and then a two and three quarter to call out my two rats. And I ended up winning the tournament. So it just goes to show you that um, you could think you're going to do one thing in the tournament, but it might go a totally different direction. And you make those strategic moves based on the moment rather than based on practice. That's what I had to do. And it paid off. I mean, and I've done that countless times here on the river too, in tournaments where I've done well. Um, like one time I started my morning fishing a dam, you know, literally fishing at the dam around a million other boats. And I caught 15 pounds off the dam to start my day and then went on and called up the rest of the day and won that tournament. It's like, sometimes you got to start on, some stuff that's stupid but you got you have to do it because you're not going to get those opportunities very often you got to take advantage when you have a good boat draw um to do something like that and it just lined up for me that those fish were biting right away in the morning because i mean yeah. if i wouldn't have stopped there somebody else probably would have stopped there and caught 12 pounds off that spot because they're biting that good and i know there was another boat on it when i came back down later in the day so i know that other people wanted to fish there so it it definitely was a situation where my boat number played a big role in me winning that tournament. Yeah. And, and you fish a lot better when you have that 18th place check in your back pocket, 15 minutes into the tournament. So. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, and it's crazy because I would have barely got a check this time with that, with that bag. Like mm -hmm. that was what I, I left that spot thinking, Oh yeah, this is like a top 10 bag already. Like, cause a lot of times 12 pounds at Winnicott, it gets you pretty far. Yeah. Um, like last year, for instance, 13 pounds was third place. So, but this year the weights to get a check um, were were up a bit. So, it definitely was crucial to get some good upgrades throughout the day because I think it took took basically 12 pounds to get a check, and then it took well over 13 to crack the top 10, which was pretty impressive for for that body of water. So, and I had 15 pounds three ounces, um, which would have been a little bit more if my four pound kicker wouldn't have spit up a four ounce bluegill in the live well but you know that i feel like that happens to just about everybody so it is what it is i think the last time i fished bago or winnicani uh didn't you didn't kevin didn't you and i split the last check are we tied for the last spot with like nine ten pounds or something like that maybe if it if so it was the first check i ever cashed in a bfl probably <laughs> It was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was, was our second year. Like when we met at lacrosse that eight roll. Yeah. And then uh, we, 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 we tied for the last spot and we like split 19th and 20th together or something like that. Gas money. Nice. Awesome. Um, so what did, what, what, what shouldn't they have people done on uh, Winnicani BFL? Uh, what, should, 
Yeah, like well, I could what did you learn that? that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. I so my deal and why I probably did bad is because I fished an event there a month or a month and a half before this one where I ran up the river and uh and it burned me and I just still had that taste in my mouth and I was like I'm not doing that in this one so I never even looked at any of it and uh I'm not saying I would have done good up there there's so many decisions and like you could tell anyone where it was one and there's so many variables you gotta go figure out um it's always been a tough place to crack the code at but uh but yeah that's what kept me to do my thing i guess and i don't know on day two i was about to go up there and i kind of googled the boat ramp and i couldn't my phone wasn't working i was like i whatever i'm gonna go check out a different i went to one of the lakes and uh spent my practice day and i i caught a few decent fish and shook a few bites and it just was classic butamore those fish weren't there really and uh i tried to just kind of fish around and it didn't nothing really came to life for me so yeah Yeah. but guys caught them i was kind of surprised at the weights too when one of my buddies said he had 13 i was thinking for sure he's top 10 and i don't even know yeah he was holding on for a check so i just i missed the ball wherever that was happening and and so Cade, what 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 was that your fourth bfl win You're muted. You're muted. You're muted. <laughs> Yo, you're muted. Yeah. Okay. It was my fourth regular BFL win, but it was my fifth if you count the regional. Nice. So, which I'd like to count. <laughs> yeah. No, that's pretty impressive. I mean, I, I, there can't be but a handful of guys that got that many wins, and you're still pretty young. So that's that's pretty stout, man. Thank you. Why don't you just move your head quick so everybody can see those trophies back there quick? No. <laughs> well, I'm going the wrong way. Okay, there we go. So there's all his BFL hardware. So if you don't think Cade knows what he's talking about, uh, and so there you go. Enough, enough flexing, though. <laughs> uh, yeah. I didn't mean to sit here, I swear. That's okay. No, it's good. <laughs> um. But uh, so there was one question I wanted. I see there's a comment about Ron Jeremy. Yeah, that's hilarious. Bill always goes for the lowest common denominator uh, humor. So, um, there's one question I wanted to get. uh, Brian is asking. So let's let's talk. Uh, just general, a little river fishing before we wrap things up. Uh, anybody wants to ask any questions, just kind of open it up. We'll just kind of shoot the breeze here at the end. Um, what do you guys think? Late July. Uh, you know, pool seven, eight, nine. What, what's the one lure you don't leave home without? Maybe one or two. Hmm. Probably a frog. Kevin's muted. No, he's, yeah, he's. Yeah, sorry, I'm muted. I, I was just say top water, like a spooker, a popper, something like that. Say poppers get get you more bites. It's, Spook uh, is hit or miss, but catch numbers probably on a popper. Yeah, I would say for me, a frog and a swim jig would be two hard baits not to leave home without. So, um, so the water, uh, I assume for you guys, is pretty low down there right now. 
It's at 4.6, which is the lowest it's been since 1992. So is that like letting yeah, the grass really get hold? Like is, or is it like making the backwater so shallow it doesn't matter if there's grass back there? So you're, you're talking to two guys that haven't spent a lot of time on the river lately because of, you know, we were gone and I have been out there the last three days and like, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of amazing. Like, and I've been on a lot of areas where it's, it's so low. Like, I mean, some of the grass is not just on the bank, like it's that bad, but, um, I don't know what that means really if we get a rise later in the year and what if it's going to kill a lot of stuff some of the weeds that i see look they actually look really good um some of them out there but i don't i don't know that the river's definitely uh i've never seen it like this before so it's pretty crazy yeah i yeah. haven't been out since the end of may basically so i can't really attest to that either I guess I was out on the river on um, Sunday. I went out with my girlfriend, and we just were literally just going to the beach. I was just beaching. I mean, just beaching and having a cold one, playing with the dog. It was no fishing going on. But I did notice that the main channel is, like, really clear right now um, because of the lack of rain. And, and there's been a lot of boat traffic, but the river's been low and stable for a long time. So the, the banks aren't, like, fresh mud pulling into right. the water every time a boat wake hits them. I mean, it's mostly just sand. So that water's real clean. I mean, and the other thing I noticed was a very strong uh, algae bloom happening in the Black River right now, too. So hmm. definitely some weird things happening for June. I mean, that's like the August, August type of thing that, you're, that you see sometimes in the Black River. But, you know, there's already a good green algae bloom going on in there. So I don't know what to think. I'll be out tomorrow night after work and we'll get a better grip on what's going on out there. But it's definitely going to be, if anybody on that's listening to this is coming to the river um, anytime soon, you're going to probably want to be careful getting around and maybe try to stay more on the main river type stuff. If you want to keep your lower unit anyway, don't go venturing <laughs> into places that you're not real familiar with. It's a good way to take some paint and maybe some metal off of your lower unit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, is it like so low you're like seeing like little high spots and like parts of wing dams that you had never seen? You're like, oh, there's a little knob or there's a little washout. Like, <laughs> like oh, I'm going to remember that. Like, <laughs> I think it's definitely yeah, better. for sure. Yeah. I know last year it got down to like 4.8 once. And like 7th Street Boat Landing is a place I like to put in a lot. Yeah. The actual end of the boat landing was, uh, only about two feet into the water so if you put your trailer in it just like dropped off and like almost wrecked my trailer trying to put in there and if, as if that wasn't enough then i tried to get out to the main channel and the sandbar that goes across there is so shallow that you couldn't even get out to the main channel from seventh street boat landing so you had to idle all the way down the back channel which is all slown awake and you have to go over like three wing dams that were all super shallow so I would not recommend putting in at 7th Street Landing if you're coming to fish here for any reason. You know, you're going to want to go to either Clinton Street Boat Landing or the La Crosse Municipal Boat Landing. Those are really the only two ramps I'd recommend because it's just you don't want to be putting in in the area where you're already facing treacherous conditions just in to the get danger out of the zone. Boat 
Yeah, maybe you can go find some. If you put it at 7th Street and try to go to the main channel, you will literally be stuck within the first 27 seconds of launching <laughs> your boat, and you're going to have a bad time. I guarantee it. And nice. don't call me because I, I got other things to do. I don't want to be pushing anybody off of there. You, you can call Tom's kid. I heard he's got good rates. So. Yeah, $2,500. He'll come get you. Um, <laughs> nice. Maybe it's a good time to find some shell beds uh, sticking out of the water. Uh, what do you, so what do you think? Uh, craw tube or BFE, Cade? You're, you're a big bites bait guy. Um, not anymore. I actually switched to Strike King this year, but I, oh. I do. You got some uh, experience. <laughs> I actually never flipped the BFE. Okay. I never have got my hands on any of those, but I'm a big time craw tube guy, which I can thank Seth Fighter for turning me on to that. I think by now everybody knows that he is a big time craw tube guy. He flips it on the Elite Series all the time. And they're pretty open about talking about it. So I don't think I'm dropping any secrets there. But I, I do really like to flip a craw tube on the river. Green pumpkin, three-eighths ounce. That's pretty much all I throw. If I'm flipping a Texas rig, something on weed lines or whatever, that's what I like to flip. Nice. Well, so, what, yeah, this is, Sean wants to know, uh, what, what's your guys' uh, – what type of frog rods do you guys use? you like a little tip, no tip, just the tip? <laughs> Depends on uh, the grass you're fishing. When you when you get into like July on, the weeds get really thick, and uh, I mean you have to get those bigger fish out. So you, I don't like that much tip. But if I'm target casting, like probably be, before now, I guess is when you start to see less target casting. Like you know, like post spawners, fry garters, or whatever. Then I like a little tip, and it's like a 7.3, you know, medium heavy to heavy. But I use a 7.4 heavy, uh, and it's like a broomstick for the grass that we have. Because that's just like a you have a mat. If you live here, and Rich, you know this, and Cade, you know this. If if you live here, you have a mat frog. You got like a one. You might have it on a 7.11 even. Like I know, Rich, you like to use that, like a magnum heavy, um, and just bomb it. And you got you've got probably a couple different options, but yeah, if if you're fishing a lot of that slop, probably not much tip is needed really. The rod I use is a seven nine extra heavy fast, um, and I don't know I I just love the hook set that I get with that rod, so I pretty much use it for every situation, whether I'm in open water or fishing a big mat. I mean, the only time I would switch rods is if I'm trying to go to like a a junior size frog and i'm not throwing a full size frog then i would go to like a seven four with a little more tip but i mean the one i'm throwing is pretty much a broomstick i guess it, it's a diowa steez seven nine extra heavy i just switched to lose but i haven't gotten like all the rods yet for what i need and i don't know what my frog rod's going to look like going forward so that's what i'm going to model it after though is that seven nine that i've been using for the last four or five years and I mean, I can work the bait just fine. I think what you, you want is maybe to invest a little bit of money in your frog rod because you can get a really heavy rod these days, like a heavy action rod, but that still weighs very little. And I think that's a big key. Is I mean, if you have a lightweight rod that's really st like sturdy, um, you're still going to be able to impart that action in the rod, even if it doesn't have a really limber tip to it. Just because it's so lightweight, you can move your wrist fast enough to get what you need. 
Um, and I do a lot more reeling with my frog anyway. So I, I'm not like this big walk the dog frog guy. I'm, I'm moving my frog pretty quick across the mat or whatever I'm fishing. So maybe it's more important to other people than, than what I'm looking for. But I like the big meaty hook set and that's what I pull out that big rod for. Yeah. I think kind of lean a little bit more towards Kevin. Like I definitely have two frog rods. I have a seven, nine, basically expensive, like 300 plus dollar, <laughs> $350 frog rod. But the thing is like, if you're a casual guy and you frog for 15, 20 minutes or a half an hour, hour here and there, or you go hit the pond, then having a heavy frog rod is not a big deal. But Man, there are days on the river where you're frogging for eight hours a day in a tournament or, or maybe longer in practice, right? And, like, having a cheap frog rod that weighs too much really wears you out. Like, um, so, I mean, like, it really depends on how big of uh, a priority frogging is for you, right? Like, if you live at, you know, Table Rock, you probably don't need a $300 frog rod, <laughs> right? Because you're probably not going to do it that much, right? You're not going to frog for eight hours a day. Um, but you probably have a really damn nice wiggle wart and jerkbait rod, right? So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, um, but yeah, I, I did the same thing. So for like mat frogging, what I call distance frogging, I have a really big, you know, seven, nine, you know, super stout rod. And then for my tactical frogging, if I do a little more of on the lakes where I'm like skipping under docks, I'm skipping under laydowns, I'm hitting really precise targets uh, at short range where I'm, you know, fishing banks or cut banks and things like that. I like a 7.3, uh, 735, uh, which just has, I mean, I'm not saying it has a lot of tip, but it's just got a little tip and it still has a ton of backbone. And can I use it on a mat in a pinch? Yeah. So like if I'm down there practicing or in a tournament, I might. Like, I think I'm going to catch them on the black, right? I'll put the black frog on the seven, nine and I'll put a white frog on the seven, you know, seven, three and just keep them honest or something like that. So, um, I don't know. That was a lot of talk about frog rods for a simple question. I think we all like our frog rods a lot. <laughs> uh, man, there was a lot of questions that came in. Uh, do you guys like to fish up current into the current or float down? I like to go uh, into the current at all times, pretty much. Um, just boat boat positioning is better. The fish are the fish are positioned on a river system, you know, to look up current to eat. They like stuff, you know, flowing by them and whatnot. That's how they set up. Um, so it's just better that way. Your presentation of your bait, it's more efficient. Um, so yeah, I like to fish up current. Only time you'll see me down current is uh, if it's in practice and I'm my batteries are getting low or something. I'll, I'll go down current some or whatever. Um, but my buddy Austin, Brimmer, Cade knows this one, but he calls that straw capping when he sees someone go down the river, he said they're, they're out there straw capping. Personally, I majority of the time I'm fishing, um, going upstream with my boat, like Kevin said. And if you're flipping a bank or something, you're flipping at about a 45 degree angle and pulling it down with the current. That being said, there are situations where I do, I like to always be facing into the current at all times, but sometimes I'll actually pitch back behind the boat and pull the bait back up the current, and that creates a different action. Um, it, it creates a slower fall when you're when you're leaving that bank with the jig or, or Texas rig, because the current's keeping it elevated while your line's tight. So it, it kind of changes how that bait floats back into the bank. Um, I do that sometimes. It seems like sometimes they want it that way. 
But another thing I do is certain situations where you're throwing a jerk bait or it's really just a jerk bait deal where I'm going to position the boat upstream of a target and cast yeah. down at that target. And uh, oh, I do it with the Carolina rig too. There can be times where it's actually beneficial to throw down. You know, if you're either you pretty much have to be either spot locked, uh, power poles down, or raptors down, I should say. Um, and then shameless plug there, but raptors down, uh, spot lock down, or either that or you just got to be Brian Thrift and really good at keeping on your foot pedal all day long, like Captain Morgan. Um, but then you're just going to hold that bait. You're going to use the current to keep your bait in one zone and you can work that bait and it just comes forward a little bit. And then it's going right back in the face of those fish. It only is really something that you're going to do when you already know where those fish are. Cause it just, it's not a good technique for covering the water. But when you're on a dialed pinpoint spot, like a little bitty spot on whatever, a point or something where you know where they're sitting, it can be really effective to just keep that presentation in front of a fish's face at all times. And it's kind of like what we were doing at Douglas, where you're, you're staying in the strike zone. You know there's a school of fish there. And if you keep that bait in the strike zone long enough, like Kevin did with that shaky head, I'm doing the same thing with a jerk bait to keep that bait in the fish's face until one finally just gets mad at it and eats it. So that's, I've even that's seen that. Like where I'll fish downstream. A popper, too, yeah, sometimes. Sure. Like, they sit there and just, like, keep popping it. And they just know yeah. it. They're just sitting there. like <laughs> They'll yeah. just lose their mind. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Um, this is not true. I've never, well, I've never lost a lower unit. I don't like my skeg a lot recently, but my lower unit has stayed, which is all about trimming up. So that's why you want to hit your skeg and not the front of your nose cone. So that's a tactic. Um, Uh, what's going on here yeah Dobbins tips on Marion watch Sam Sobey's last video he smashed him out there Um, otherwise pretty soon it's going to be a Jiggerman drop shot and a flipping bite and that's about all there is out there on Marion thanks for noticing Sean um Lost his frog. Yes, hate my skeg. Look, we're all caught up. Oh. So, uh, what do you guys got coming up? What's uh, you got some like bites ninety five, some team derbs. What's uh, what, what what's all going on? What do we, what do we got coming up? Yeah, this Sunday we got the bites ninety five. Um, I think next weekend there's another one, and there's a there's a TBF wisconsin tournament or qualifier i think on saturday so there's a lot of weekends where you probably see like saturday and sunday a possible tournament to fish but uh mainly that bites 95 trail um that maybe that tbf tournament i'm not even in that yet but i'll think about it and uh just fishing at anything bfls and uh i don't know I want to fish one or two tournaments every weekend. If there is one, I want to be in it. So I'm sure Kate's the same way. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I do like a little time off. I, I get a little burnt out sometimes if I'm just like, like this last couple of weeks has been a tough stretch because I haven't been able to fully even unpack from the All-American yet. And I've already had a tournament since then. And we got a tournament this weekend. So I'm like, 
kind of looking forward to the following weekend of not fishing for money, but I do love it, obviously. Um, but yeah, this weekend it's the Bites 95 tournament, fishing that against Kevin. Um, he's going to bring it. He's been out there and uh, obviously he's hungry for a rebound yeah. from the Winnicott BFL. So look out for Somebody, Kevin. Somebody's got to get his season back here. on track. <laughs> yeah, for too. sure. Like, he's a summer, summer river guy, in my opinion. Like, I don't know if you feel that way too, Kevin, but like, seems like a lot of your damage comes in the summer and that's when I'm at my weakest. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to, I like the summertime cause the fish are the most spread out that they will be all year, I guess. So if you spend a lot of time out there, you can, um, I don't know. And I, yeah, I really like fishing in the summer. It's probably my favorite time. So yeah. There's also a Wisco bass coming up in July. I can't remember exactly the weekend. It's the same weekend as the July BFL. I think it's the 18th is the Wisco yep. and the 17th is the BFL. So we'll both be doing that. I think you're doing that, right, Kevin? Yep, yep. Yeah, so that that's going to be a heavy weekend to have a BFL on Saturday and then the next day fish a Wisco bass. It's basically the same size tournament both days. I mean, 100, 100 plus boats each day and different competitors too. So what ends up happening is the Wisco guys are all pre-fishing during the same time that we're pre-fishing for the BFL. And then they're also pre-fishing on the day of the BFL. So what you end up with is like 220 plus boats out there on the same water. And it gets pretty crazy. Like it's, it's going to be a tough weekend. I think, you know, the weights are going to be, the winning weights are always going to be good, but it's going to be tough to get a check. You know, you're going to have to have, it might only take three, three fish too. Pounds. Yeah. It's a three fish deal both days too. So that's, that's the one I'm really curious to see how that shakes out. I personally, I'm not a huge fan of, of fishing really beat up fish on this river, but it seems to be something that we're having to cope with more and more every year because it's just become a really popular spot for, you know, the college series and the high school series. They're coming here now regularly. Um, we got an FLW pro circuit or MLF pro circuit championship is here this August. So we kind of just have to get used to um, grinding on pressured fish nowadays here on the river. So it's a little different than fishing pressured fish down South because down South, at least you can graph and you know that you know where they are because you see them on your electronics, but here it's like when they live shallow, if they're really pressured, they won't even show themselves and there's no way to really know that they're there unless you get a bite, you know? So it, it can be a grind just out there throwing a frog for eight hours and having like two bites all day sometimes, you know? So. What about you, Rich? You, you hitting the river or what? Uh, I want to get down to the river. I, I have the state tournament for the Minnesota Bass Nation uh, the first weekend in August out of Wabasha. So I'm probably starting in July. I'll start going down there and peeking around. Um, uh, but other than that, this weekend I'm heading out to Big Stone. Uh, so I want to answer somebody's question, um, which is on the South Dakota border. Um, and so I'm pretty excited about that. I mean, like they had a PBF South Code tournament out there. A two, they had a two, like a back-to-back two-day tournament. 
And uh, day one, it was uh, the boater was like high 19s. The co was low 19s to win. And on day two, it took uh, the boater took 19 pounds to win or 20 pounds to win. And the non-boater took 22. <laughs> so and that was this past weekend. So I'm, I'm pretty jacked to get out there and, uh, and hopefully hammer on some bigs. Uh, it should be a good tournament. So um, never been there. Uh, it's, I think like peak depth is like 20 feet. It's like 26 miles long. It's like 12,000 acres. It's a Minnesota river impoundment, but it's definitely got some big large mouth. So, um, I don't know. I think there could be a frog bite. There could be a flipping bite. It should be right in my wheelhouse and I'm pretty excited. <laughs> you definitely know a thing or two about that. But uh, otherwise, I don't know. I, I, we got to make a date and come down and hang out with you guys and, and do some, some filming on a, a non-tournament pool. Like one of the, like not lacrosse. We'll go hang out on some other pools and don't get pounded quite as hard and, and have some fun and, and uh, get a shoot, get some frog videos or something. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We could, or we could take it to my little, uh, my favorite little boat harbor where I took Kevin a couple of years ago, and we could just all three of us just smash them. You better, you better bring some warm clothes, though. <laughs> that, that's a little later, right? Yeah, that's like thirty. I think it was like twenty-nine degrees or something. I'm pretty sure cold. I've been in the boat harbor. I just never been in that time of year, so. <laughs> It's like uh, mid October, mid to late October is kind of yeah. when it's the deal for big ones. So. Um, but yeah, otherwise, uh, I don't know. Looking forward to doing a whole lot of fishing. Um, yeah, one of these years I'll get back and I'll come down and hang out with you guys and fish a full season on the river when my when my uh, my schedule opens up a little bit. Because I don't know, I, I enjoyed it when I fished a full schedule. I just haven't been able to to make it work lately. So. And I, I didn't suck that bad when I was down there. <laughs> no, you did good. Um, but uh, yeah, you cool. got fifth. I remember one time, right? Fifth place. Yeah, I'm, I'm Prairie. I think I got fourth or fifth, and then I had. A, I mean, I cast checks in half the tournaments I fished in, in the BFLs, probably. So not too bad for a, for a city yet, as as uh, people like to call us. Brad. Shout out to Chris Brantner. <laughs> <laughs> the blue plater you're a blue plater the blue plater Can't yeah, even, i got the i got the uh the uh the balloon the i got the one with the fishing like the conservation plates with the fishing plate so it's not a blue uh, plate so but cool all right well uh it seems like everybody got their questions in uh we're at a good stop in about hour 45 minutes thank you guys for coming on uh, we should say like both you guys, uh, Kevin Rue fishing, Kate Laufenberg fishing. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to follow them along, they're usually posting some good stuff, uh, all the time. So you might get a list of little sneaky information that you can, if you, if you decipher the tea leaves, you might be able to figure out some stuff. If you follow those guys, um, if you guys came in late, make sure you catch the replay. Otherwise, uh, search Hellabass on your favorite podcast app and you can listen to this over again and, and catch some of the nuggets that were dropped today. Um, anything else you guys want to shout out uh, or mention before we, we, we uh, call it a night and uh, you go buy your groceries, kid? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I just want to say thanks to my new sponsors this year, Strike King, Luz, Salmo, Bass Mafia, and then Avco still with me. Um, yeah, and Atomic, Atomic Bass Jerseys. 
they sponsor Kevin and I. They make the best jerseys out there on the market, I believe. And, you know, we just have a lot of confidence wearing them. We look good, feel good. Uh, they're cool, keep you cool all fish day. Good. Yeah, yeah, you fish, you just feel confident wearing look them. Look good, so. fish good. <laughs> it's definitely uh, been a good start to the season. And I'm also thankful to anybody that supported me and reached out, text or call or whatever to tell us good luck and congratulations on these tournaments. Um, I think Kevin can speak for it too, that the support like is what kind of drives us and keeps us going. So thank you guys for all of that. Yeah. And, and other than that, oh, heck yeah, look at you, savvy Rich Lindgren over here just pulling up stuff on, <laughs> on a whim. Yeah, I like that picture. My mom took that, and uh, I think that's pretty cool because it's, you know, we're, we're buddies and we're tight even when we're not at the All-American, so. Yeah, that was sweet. I'd like to just thank a couple sponsors, too. Uh, I want to thank Super K Jigs. Uh, they make a – probably one of the top swim jigs on the market and i use a lot of their other stuff and there's someone that if if i ever need anything you know maybe off the wall i can always lean on too to try to, to try to make um atomic makes like kate said an awesome jersey um mercury marine phoenix boats um i got some new sponsors this year actually i'm in my garage right now so i'm taking a sponsor fishing tomorrow it's uh scenic bluffs pest control and you guys might think like why would you have a pest control sponsor? But so my buddy, I worked with him and we became friends, but it's kind of a non epidemic sponsor. But, uh, you know, when you're working on your tackle at night in the garage, he, so he sprays my yard for bugs and stuff every year. You have no mosquitoes, no gnats. You got no spiders in your garage or anything like that. It's actually a really, uh, valuable thing. Cause when it's super hot out, um, you don't want to be, you know, skipping on your tackle rigging because bugs are flying around biting you and, and just it's already hot you don't want to be getting uh, gnats and all that so yeah that's that's a new sponsor of mine and i'm looking forward to getting out tomorrow with uh kevin and doing some fishing and his son um but uh mouth hug fishing tackle and uh yeah power pole that's about about it but uh thankful for all the support too so you guys are ready for the big stage got your sponsor plugging down <laughs> Uh, and if you guys, uh, hey, I use a lot of Super K swim jigs too. So, and there's a code down in the description, Hellabass15, if you want to save 15% off on Super K. So, um, yeah, thanks guys for coming on. Um, maybe there's hope that uh, somebody will drop out in front of me and I'll be at the divisional in uh, uh, September in, uh, on lacrosse as well. But uh, still need somebody to drop out for that to happen. Um, but uh, hey, thanks guys. Thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And just remember, you guys, here to help you guys catch more big bass and suck less. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Have a good one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of the Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hellabass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less. <laughs>